the teams you care about. I've got Pats, I've got Sox, Bruins, Celtics, UVM. Where do we want to start? The stories that matter to you. A huge shocker out of Foxborough, Mac Jones, the quarterback of your New England Patriots. This is your home for New England sports. I admit it, I'm a card-carrying member of both the High and Bloom and Cam Newton fan clubs. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in on a Friday right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. It is the Brady Farkas Show, and we have a full show today, a full 90 minutes going right up until 7 o'clock. We turn it over to Red Sox baseball at that time. Sox take on the White Sox in Chicago for the first of three games in the Windy City. The White Sox are very, very good. They're running away with the American League Central right now. Sox were off yesterday, so but even in a day off, the Sox picked up a half game on the Yankees last night, so the wild card race shapes up as follows. Heading into today, Red Sox pole position, number one wild card spot. The Yankees are one game back of the Sox. The Blue Jays are a half game back of New York. Oakland and Seattle are each two games back of New York. So we got three weeks left. Three weeks left and a great race shaping up here in the American League. When baseball added the second wild card spot, this is what they were looking for. This is what they were looking for. More teams involved at the end of the season, more races at the end of the season, more fan bases engaged, and more urgency at the end of the season. You've got right now, you've got the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, Oakland, Seattle, all of which are involved and all of which have at least a reasonable chance of getting to the playoffs. That's five teams that have a chance at the wild card. That's what baseball was trying to create. I am pumped, by the way, for our guest today, Patriots insider Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston. He is one of my favorite Patriot insiders. He is going to be with us every single Friday at 545 during football season. So, Phil is going to be on the show for the first time here as a weekly insider coming up in about 10 minutes from now. We'll get ready for Patriots-Dolphins in the opener. You can get in, as always, on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line. That's 802-585-3026. It's your locally-owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Let's waste no time. Lego. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. We're going to do a ton of football today, but I want to start with the Red Sox because the news generally keeps getting worse. Xander Bogarts is coming back today. That news is great, but... Mostly, the news for the Red Sox for the last week and change has been garbage. And we got more garbage news this afternoon. Red Sox ace Chris Sale has now officially tested positive for COVID-19. He won't make his scheduled start this weekend in Chicago. And per Major League Baseball rules, he's going to be out at least 10 days. There's only so few days left in the season, and Chris Sale is out at least 10 of them. This is a complete gut punch for a few different reasons. First off, this strains the rotation 
which has already had to overcome a loss of Nick Pavetta. And he may or may not be back this weekend, but the rotation is already thinned because Pavetta has been gone. It's likely now going to strain a bullpen as you have to piece things together. The bullpen that's out, Martin Perez, Matt Barnes, Hirokazu Sawamura. Like, this is just bad news for your staff in general. Darwinson Hernandez has been hurt with a non-COVID injury. He's had the oblique thing. So, like, it's a depleted pitching staff. And Chris Sale just further depletes it now by testing positive for COVID. And you simply put, you can't win if you can't pitch. The Red Sox will not be able to close out one of these two wildcard spots if they can't pitch. And now... They're going to be able to pitch worse today than they were yesterday by virtue of not having Chris Sale. And this means, like, if you think about what this means, we could get more Cutter Crawford or Brad Peacock appearances. And that's certainly not what you want for this team in the midst of a playoff race. So it's bad on the field. But it's also bad in the clubhouse. This scenario, this COVID-positive test for Chris Sale, robs this Red Sox team of its leader. There was a story today on WEEI.com by Rob Bradford that said this, in quotes, Sale is different. He has evolved into the same sort of presence the Red Sox haven't seen since David Ortiz left. That's rarefied air. Chris Sale is apparently that big a force and that big a presence in that clubhouse, and now he is gone. This is not just he's not playing. This is he's not even present. At a time when the Red Sox are reeling, and even though they're now in first place in the wildcard race, make no mistake, they're still reeling. At a time like this, they need leadership. And Chris Sale has been the guy that has provided it through this rough stretch. And now he's got to be away from the team. This is a gut punch on the field and off the field to this organization, an organization that's had nothing but gut punches for the last two weeks. And this continues to happen for the Red Sox at the worst imaginable time. Look, it's never good for people to get COVID. It's never good from a human side. From a baseball side, this is the worst possible timing. You have six games here coming up against the White Sox, who are clearly better than you. And the Mariners, who are clearly, you know, they're chasing you and clearly hungry. And now you're out your ace. That is never a good thing. And you're out whoever still may end up being on this list. You might be able to handle this if this six-game stretch was the Orioles and Nationals. But it's not. It's a team better than you and a team directly behind you. And, oh, by the way, you also had to do this against the Rays. This is... This is bad news all the way around. And then, as a human, on a human level, you got to acknowledge you just feel bad for Chris Sale. He worked so hard to come back from Tommy John surgery. He's been such a booster shot of energy for this team. You feel bad for him. He's pitched well, right? He's got a 2-5-2 ERA, striking out still a bunch of guys, not walking very many guys. He's pitched well. He hasn't been the Chris Sale of old. But he's provided you hope on the mound, and he's provided you leadership in the clubhouse. So he's a big loss for the team, and you just feel bad for him on an emotional level because of all he's been through over the last 18 months. I do want to get to this on the Red Sox, too. I'm going to guess that Hunter Renfro is wrong 
with what he said yesterday on WEEI. So Renfro goes on yesterday with our guy, Lou Merloni, and former Pats tight end Christian Fourier, and he says that in the midst of this outbreak, Major League Baseball told the Red Sox to stop testing for COVID and just treat the symptoms. Here was Renfro yesterday on EEI. It's a tough time for us right now. You know, we've gone through a lot of stuff with COVID, and, and I think the, one of the things, like, MLB's basically told us to stop, the, stop testing and just treat the symptoms. But we're like, no, we're going we're gonna to figure out what's going on and keep. So that sounds really bad if it was true. But I have to imagine that it's not true. Okay? Of course Major League Baseball came out and said Renfro was wrong. But the Red Sox also said Renfro was wrong. Renfro is saying that Major League Baseball said, look, don't test anymore. We don't want to find more positives. Just treat the people who are sick and let's forget about everybody else. That's what Renfro is insinuating. That would be a really bad look on Major League Baseball's part if it was true. Baseball predictably said it's not, but the Red Sox also says it's not. So I'm going to bank on the fact that Renfro is wrong or misinformed. The question is, where does that come from? Where does the disconnect come from? So I'm going to guess that it's here. Back in June, baseball and the Players Association came to a new agreement that says this. Vaccinated players are not tested for this virus unless they either display symptoms or are deemed a close contact from a person known to have tested positive. So basically, vaccinated people who are not close contacts or who are not showing symptoms, they don't need to be tested at all. That's the rule. If you are vaccinated and you are not sick and you are not a close contact of someone who is positive, you don't need to be tested. So what Major League Baseball could have said to the Red Sox is this. Like, hey, remember, you don't need to test the vaccinated guys unless it's that they're a close contact. You don't need to test vaccinated guys. Worry about the guys who are showing symptoms. Figure them out. Don't worry about the vaccinated, asymptomatic people. So, you know, the Red Sox don't have to test the asymptomatic people. They don't have to test the vaccinated, asymptomatic people, but evidently they are. So I think it's probably fair to assume Major League Baseball told the Red Sox, look, you don't have to be testing everybody. Test the sick people. Test the unvaccinated people. You don't have to go for everybody and lose you know, your whole team over this. The Red Sox have said, look, we want to figure out what's happening here. So they're, they're doing more testing than what is needed. Hunter Renfro is probably right that baseball said cool it, but probably because the Red Sox are doing more than necessary. So Renfro's caught a, a backlash here from baseball and the Red Sox. I'm going to side with them. Of course baseball is going to cover its backside. But the Red Sox have out here saying, look, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing here. And I'm going to trust them and just assume that Renfro got this one wrong. And it's a pretty big thing to get wrong. It's something that certainly has um, drummed up a lot of reaction here in the last 24 hours. But I think that Renfro got this wrong. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. A couple of texts Coming in, Phil's got one, unnamed texter's got the other. Both saying essentially the same thing. Brady, did I hear you on WDEV last night 
or I guess this morning in the overnight hours? And the answer is yes. I was a guest last night on the Freddie and Fitzsimmons show. So Freddie Coleman of ESPN comes on with me every single Wednesday at 545. Last night, Freddie invited me on his show. We ended up doing it just after midnight, about 1230, after the Bucks and Cowboys game was over, and Freddie had me on to talk Patriots. So it was a, a really cool thing to be on this station in not my own show. And uh, a couple of you evidently heard it, even though it was pretty late last night slash early this morning. So Freddie is the man. Freddie and Fitzsimmons is a great show. We love having it on DEV, and I appreciated them letting me be a part of it and kind of doing a little role reversal here because, uh, again, Freddie's always here. It's a chance for me to go on his show, and it was a lot of fun. So Patriots-Dolphins coming up in week one. What's the game plan going to be? What are the keys to the game, and should we be scared of anything the Dolphins can do? We'll get the lowdown on week one. Pat's insider Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, with us next right here on WDEV. Biggest stories in Foxborough. Your primary goal should be finding out if Mac Jones is good. All the information from Patriots Place. Bill Belichick's going to be 69 years old this year. They want to compete. It's Football Talk Friday with Patriots insider Phil Perry on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here on a Friday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio.com. Very excited to continue our rollout of our weekly NFL lineup for the year. And joining us now is our guy, Phil Perry, Patriots insider, NBC sports, Boston, Phil, uh, you'll be happy to know we have dubbed this segment football talk Friday with Phil Perry, rather than calling you Foxborough Phil, which did get some traction in the office. Wow. That is Shocking! I think I could have rolled with Foxborough Phil, but I'm not going to lie, Brady. I'm happy we settled where we settled. <laughs> so <laughs> we are pumped to have you on. Appreciate your time that you're going to be giving us every single week. Uh, before we get to week one, let's close the book on the Cam Newton era in Foxborough. The Funky Friday video dropped today. We're going to go over it a little later ourselves here. But uh, was there something that stood out to you? Did you have a big takeaway from Cam's um, – openness yeah i did I, I thought there were a couple i thought his perception of how the quarterback competition played out was that was interesting um you know i would have said that if you were looking at just trying to find the best quarterback to run the patriots offense the way josh mcdaniels wants to run it if there was a competition for that i would have said based on what we saw from mac jones he won the competition but I understand Cam Newton's point of view, which was essentially I had a good summer too. And yes, Max showed that he could play and he's a first round pick. And I understand how that works. That's he didn't say that, you know, verbatim, but it it felt like to me, that's what he was getting at was Mac Jones showed he could play. He showed he was ready. Cam even said he proved he can be productive in this offense. He will be productive in this offense. Once that happens, I remember saying this throughout the course of time, whether it was Tom Carter or anybody else uh, throughout the course of camp. This wasn't really a competition between Cam Newton and Mac Jones is how Cam Newton looks at it. It's how kind of I looked at it really from the moment Mac Jones was drafted. It was once Mac Jones was ready, you get him in there. Even if Cam looks pretty good because you've made this investment in him. He's a first round pick. He is your future. Cam Newton isn't. It's just the nature of the deal where he was, 
on a one-year low-money contract, and the other guy you spent the 15th overall pick on. So if he's ready, why wait? You're wasting time. I think that's how Cam Newton sees it, too. He didn't have a bad summer, so he wasn't quote-unquote beat out. I think that's a quote that's getting a lot of play right now. Let's get yeah. it straight. Mac Jones didn't beat me out. I think you find a lot of people who disagree with that. But I think his general sentiment is actually right. I think he's right when he says hmm. he kind of shrugs his shoulders and says, hey, Max ends up, Max a pretty good quarterback, it turns out, so they're going with him. The other takeaway I have, Brady, was just about the trip to Atlanta and yeah. the missed protocols and what led to that five-day absence, which I think kind of opened the door for the Patriots to be further impressed by Mac Jones and I think make them and the rest of the Patriots roster more comfortable with him being the week one starter. Interesting to me in that he was essentially – encouraged by the Patriots to go. He was not, it sounds like, according to Cam, reminded of any protocols that he might have been able to take care of while he was away. And I'm still trying to get clarity on this because we hear about these bioreference tests and if you leave the premises, you have to come back in a certain amount of time to get tested at the premises. I'm still trying to figure out if he could have been tested, say, at the Falcons facility. They have a bioreference facility there. And would he have been able to satisfy the protocols had that been the case? I don't know that. But it sounds like there wasn't really much talk about the protocols. And to that, I would say, okay, maybe the team should be giving the guy a little bit more of a heads up or be on top of it in a little bit um, more conscientious of fashion. But he is 32 years old. He is somebody who's been in the league for 10 years. He knows that he has to jump through hoops to not be vaccinated and keep his job and he wasn't on top of what he had to do either so you know i don't i think his explanation he thinks might sort of clarify some things in people's minds and maybe i don't know if he's expecting exoneration from that i don't think he should be though because again these guys are adults and they they should be on the protocols that they do Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You know, moving over to week one now, matchup against the Dolphins coming up on Sunday. I had a national radio host tell me earlier this week, he thought that this was a statement game for both teams in week one. I hesitate to call week one a statement game, but I will kind of reframe the question to you. Who needs this week one win more? That's a great question. I think because of the nature of the quarterback situation, and because there's already some unrest down in Miami about whether or not Tua should be the guy, should they be looking into Deshaun Watson? Yeah. Can he be the guy down the road if he gets more time? I think the Dolphins probably needed a little bit more. I think panic would set in Brady a little bit more strongly in Miami if it doesn't look good for them. I think if it ends up being a loss here in New England, it's not great. You're expected to be winning this year. This roster was entirely rebuilt in the offseason. We know the amount of money that was spent. They're expected to win right now, even though they have a rookie quarterback, but they're always going to have that rookie quarterback in his first professional game thing to be able to fall back on should it not go well. So I think it, I really think it's Miami right now because I think they have real questions about their quarterback, and they should. And unfortunately for them, Brady, unfortunately, they're doing him a disservice by what they're putting in front of him along that offensive line. I think it could be a mess offensively for the Dolphins this weekend. 
Well, we like hearing that as Patriots fans. We like the the potential win up front for the Pats, but I am a little worried about the back end right now for the Pats. We know Stephon Gilmore is not there, and then all of a sudden, Jalen Mills now is not practicing or is limited uh, in practice. How worried should we be about the secondary? And I'm getting a little worried about Jalen Waddle all of a sudden. <laughs> so on, let's do Waddle first. I thought Bill Belichick, I, I asked him a few questions on Waddle the other day just because I think he's a fascinating player. I think he would have been a really good fit here. I think they liked him a lot here. I don't know if he would have been their first-round pick, but he had fans in the building. I asked Bill Belichick about him the other day and was sort of trying to get at the challenge of defending real speed out of the slot because this is something we're seeing across the league now. You know, traditionally, and we know it better than any fan base in the country, but, you know, those slot guys, whether it's Wayne Corbett or Wes Welker or Julian Edelman or Danny Amendola, they're not 4-3 speed guys. You have that now, whether it's... Tyler Lockett in Seattle, Jalen Waddell in Miami, T.Y. Hilton, you know, in Indianapolis might have really been the first guy to, to kind of start this trend. But it's a real, it's a tough job trying to run with those guys because they have the whole field to work with. They're not pinned up against the boundary and, and therefore limiting the routes that they can run down the field. Anyway, he likes the matchup, it sounds like, Bill Belichick. So, well, we have a pretty fast player in Jonathan Jones. He didn't say Jonathan Jones, but I know that's what he was getting at. He said we have yeah. a pretty fast player, too. So Jalen Waddle, I would say, explosive ability, but I think the Patriots like what they have there. The second corner thing is interesting. They luck out Brady this week and that Will Fuller suspended. Yep. Because if he was on the field and you're talking about Will Fuller v. Juwan Williams or Will Fuller v. Sean Wade, that could be a real problem. Right now, you're looking at maybe Akeem Grant is their number two on the outside, or maybe they end up sticking Waddle on the outside and Grant on the inside, or maybe it's Preston Williams. I'm not sure how they'll end up playing it, but Fuller's better than those guys. And so I understand your concern. I think the Patriots might be able to get by by sending a lot of pressure at Tua, trying to get it out of his hands quickly and making sure, again, whether it's Williams or I think it might be a smart move for them to play Sean Wade because we saw Juwan Williams play quite a bit this summer and it didn't look all that good, Brady. Um, I I think you try to help those guys with your pressure up front, and I think they will be able to get pressure. You know, this is probably a low end of an NFL number, but I'm just going to call it 70. If the Patriots get 70 plays offensively on Sunday, how many passes versus how many runs? I think they're going to come out and really try to establish the run, use that old football cliche. That's what they want to do. That's what they should be able to do against this Miami Dolphins front. The strength of their defense is in the secondary. So to expect them to come out in Mac Jones' first game against one of the best secondaries in football, in my opinion, with those two corners that they have, you're asking for trouble. So why would you mess with that when up front you really trust your offensive line you have your fullback and Jakob Johnson that I think you're going to use early and often. And you have these two tight end sets that should allow you to, if they try to match those guys with safeties on the field because they're afraid of the pass game, should be able to allow this offense to, to run at will almost. So to me, it, it will be a run heavy plan because I think if you try to go the other way, you're doing what the Dolphins want you to do. So 70 plays, I think they would like to be at I think they'd like to be at 40 runs, 45. Like, wow. you know, that's assuming you're playing with the lead and that the game script allows you to run it that often. But if they're ahead, 
they're going to be running all day long it, it, as long as it's working and the dolphins can respond to that by stacking the box and bringing extra players and you know they'll play the run on the way to the quarterback because we know how much Brian Flores likes to blitz and so he he's totally comfortable with extra bodies at the line of scrimmage so they can do all that stuff and Mac it'll be on Mac Jones to punish them when they do Brady whether it's with play action or with just that quick hitting passing game that we saw all summer Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston. You can check him out in a bevy of places. He's the host of the Next Pats podcast, which you can get on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. He's the co-host of the Tom Curran Patriots Talk podcast. You can check him out weeknights on NBC Sports Boston, and you can check him out on Twitter at Phil A. Perry, and he's going to be with us every single Friday at this time here on WDEV. Phil, we appreciate the time and perspective, and uh, enjoy week one, and we will talk to you again next week. Brady, really appreciate it. Looking forward to this first game and uh, and getting back at it again with you next week. Thanks, man. Absolutely, Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston. One of my one of my favorites. I really do think if if you are looking for good Patriots coverage and you know you're not getting it here from us, then I think that Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, and Tom Curran are are one too. I think they are the people that you should go to, and they do a podcast together, and that's where. You know, every week that is my appointment listening. It comes out once or twice a week. I listen to that all the time. So Phil is going to be with us every single Friday at 5:45, and I'm pumped about that because it's going to give us stuff that we just can't get in other places. 70 plays again. 70 is is a lighter number, right? Kind of the average is 65 in the low end, 85 at the real high end. So I called 70 because it was a round number. 70 plays. Phil thinks they'd like to have 45 runs to 25 passes. That's you know that's what I think too. This team is going to be a run first team. We've talked to you about the importance of Damian Harris. If they get forty five runs, how many carries does Damian Harris get? I'd bet you he gets thirty. Thirty carries and then fifteen for the rest of the roster, whether it be, you know, end around stuff, whether it be wide receiver reverses, Ramondre Stevenson, James White, JJ Taylor. That feels about right to me. Thirty carries for Harris and fifteen for everybody else. 28 for Harris and 17 for everybody else. I, I think Phil's right. If if the game flow allows the Patriots to play how they want, I think that that is you know that is their preferred goal. That is what they are looking to do. Is as we've said all along for months, play bully ball. It's going to be a fascinating game. I'm going to give my official predictions at the end of the show at about 6:50. So you're going to want to stick with us. There, but we'll have all the keys to the game at that point as well, too. So uh, we are off and running. This is Football Talk Friday. We are off and running. Patriots, Dolphins, 425 on Sunday. I should remind you, we are your home for Patriots football. However, we will not have the game this week. So of the 17 games in the regular season, we're going to have about 13 of them. Uh, we got Red Sox baseball this weekend. Red Sox baseball, we are contractually obligated to play. And, hey, it is a playoff race, so there's no harm in having Red Sox baseball. So no Pats for us this weekend, but we'll be back at it with the Pats again pretty soon, and we'll hear our guys Bob Sosi and Scott Zolak. But we will be your home for Patriots coverage even when we don't have the games per se. We will step aside. We'll get a national news update from CBS News, and then I invite you to responsibly – Grab a couple cold ones. We're going to have our Brady Farkas show six-pack of NFL questions heading into the official start of the NFL season. Well, minus last night's game. Week one proper. Six-pack of questions. It's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. 
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Full show tonight. Remember, we go up until 7 o'clock. Red Sox baseball against the White Sox in the Windy City. Coverage begins at 7.10 right here on your home for Red Sox baseball, WDEV. I want to thank Phil Perry from NBC Sports Boston for joining us. We'll get to some Phil takeaways here in about 10 minutes. But it is the start of the NFL season. We know that the Bucks beat the Cowboys last night, but really week one proper is on Sunday. So I invite you to, hey, hard week of work. Most of you people are done with it. Responsibly, I invite you to grab a cold one and pull up to your radio and uh, a six-pack of NFL questions to get us ready for week one. Let's cue some music, people. Oh, that's how you know. That's how you know football season is back when we get the NFL primetime music. We got all kinds of bells and whistles for this stuff this year. All right, what's our first category? Big voice guy. The best game of the NFL weekend is... The best game of the NFL weekend. That's pretty easy. There's not a lot of great games here in week one, but there is one great game, and that's the Browns and Chiefs at Arrowhead. This is a rematch of a playoff game, okay? The Browns are everybody's darling. I see multiple people picking the Browns to get to the Super Bowl in the AFC. A lot of people picking the Chiefs also. Chiefs may be the best team in football. Been to the Super Bowl two two years in a row. Browns trying to get to the Super Bowl for the first time in forever. So there's all kinds of questions that come about in this game too. A lot of people not that high on the Chiefs wide receiving core beyond Tyreek Hill. Sammy Watkins is gone, remember? So how do the Chiefs wide receivers materialize? And how about Patrick Mahomes? Does he have to overcome weapons limitations? We don't think of the Chiefs as having weapons limitations, but the receivers right now lacking in a lot of people's minds. So Mahomes, Hill, Travis Kelsey, a great trio. How about the rest of the roster, though, especially offensively? We'll see what the Chiefs can do. As for the Browns, they've added to their defense. They shored up their back end. They added Jadavion Clowney, although right now he's listed as questionable. So we see about the Browns' defense. That can be better. How about Baker Mayfield? Can he continue to take the next step on offense here and lead this team to that deep playoff run? Odell Beckham Jr. is back from a torn ACL last year. He's listed as questionable. We're not sure if he's going to play, but he will be a factor this season as well. Can he and Baker get on the same page? This is the national game of the week. We're not seeing it in our area because it's on at the same time as the Patriots and Dolphins, but most of the country is seeing this game. Jim Nance and Tony Romo are broadcasting this game. This is a playoff rematch in a hostile environment for a, for a team that went to the Super Bowl last year against one of their biggest challengers in the AFC. Browns at the Chiefs. That is the best game of the NFL weekend. I only wish that it were the Sunday night game or the Monday night game because the Sunday night game being Bears and Rams doesn't do a whole lot for me. The Monday night game being Ravens and Raiders doesn't do a whole lot for me. I presume that's so they can show off a full Raiders stadium in Vegas. Remember last year we didn't see it with any fans in it. So I think that's what that's all about. But Browns Chiefs, that is the home run game of this NFL weekend. Big voice guy. What's question number two? The game that intrigues us most is... The game that intrigues us most. So a little bit different than what we think the best game of the weekend is. For me, I'm going with the Steelers at the Bills. We just talked about the Chiefs and Browns, two teams that might be able to get to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. 
Let's not forget the Buffalo Bills. This team last year, dynamic on offense. Josh Allen has gotten his money now. He was dynamic last year as well. They've got one of the best receivers in the league in Stephon Diggs, one of the best quarterbacks in the league in Josh Allen, a defense that is opportunistic but doesn't get after the quarterback all that well. So Bills, very, very good. They have some questions, though. Here is in Patriots country, we want to know, is there any chance the Pats can sneak into the division conversation? I don't think so, but a lot of people do. If the Bills come out and look human here in week one, that's going to give an opportunity for Patriots fans to think the Pats have a chance to sneak into that conversation. As for Pittsburgh, they're a very intriguing team, too. They've kind of been left for dead, by me at least, this offseason. I've talked about Baltimore being better than the Pats, Cleveland, Tennessee, Kansas City, uh, Buffalo. I have not once mentioned Pittsburgh. Ben Roethlisberger is on the decline. We know that. The question is, has he hit the cliff entirely at this point? A lot of people think Pittsburgh is a 500 team or worse at this point solely because of, because of Roethlisberger. They just got the contract done with TJ Watt, so he's going to play. They've got Juju Smith-Schuster back. And what about Ben? That's the question. What about Ben? If he's good, the Steelers are in the mix for a playoff spot as well, and they're going to challenge the Pats for that sixth spot in the AFC. If Roethlisberger is not good, then the Steelers are just going to be a once great team that is now coming back down to earth. It's all going to depend on Ben Roethlisberger. Question number three, big voice guy on Football Friday. The bar rescue game of the week is? The bar rescue game of the week. The reason why we dubbed this the bar rescue game of the week, this is your worst game of the weekend. And the reason why we call it this is every Sunday, John Taffer's show, Bar Rescue, is on. It's a marathon. It's on all day long. You get you get hungover from Saturday night, you lay on your couch all day, and boom, there's Bar Rescue. So I would rather watch Bar Rescue Marathon than watch this NFL game. This is why it's our worst NFL game of the weekend. I would rather watch Bar Rescue than watch the Vikings and the Bengals. No interest. Okay, there are other games that aren't that interesting, like Jacksonville and Houston, but Trevor Lawrence is playing. The Jets and Carolina, Zach Wilson's playing the number two pick in the draft. Vikings-Bengals gives me almost no intrigue at all. I'm not a Kirk Cousins fan. Um, you know, Joe Burrow, I am interested in how he comes back. I'll check the highlights on that. Vikings-Bengals does absolutely nothing for me. The Vikings should win this game. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen... Uh, Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins. That's a better offense, certainly, than what the Bengals have. Joe Burrow, I'm curious about. Uh, you know, Jamar Chase, who they took in the first round, had just a nightmare preseason. I'd like to see if he can get it together here in the regular season. But beyond a few mild storylines, that game does absolutely nothing for me. Moving on, number four. The player we want to watch most this week is... The player I want to watch most this week. I bucked the trend here and did not go with a quarterback. You know, usually this answer is a quarterback. For me, the player I want to see most is new faces in new places, and that's Julio Jones of the Tennessee Titans. I think the Titans can be really good. For a long time, I was really anti-Ryan Tannehill. I think Ryan Tannehill throws a very good deep ball, and I think he commands that offense well. We know that Derrick Henry... You know, drives the bus in Tennessee. He's really, really good. You know, he's near a 2,000-yard back, and he's a punishing runner that can wear defenses down. I've called the Patriots 
Titans light. Well, Ryan Tannehill does a really good job at managing the Titans. A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, and now Julio Jones. Julio's not the same player that he was five years ago, but if he's healthy, he's pretty darn good. His former teammate in Atlanta, Harry Douglas, said he is still a top wide receiver. Well, I say this a lot to a lot of people. When it comes to Julio Jones, it's, it's, it's very luxurious when you have a guy that who's, who's double coverage and you can throw it to him no matter what, and he's probably going to catch the football. You don't have many luxury with guys like that in the NFL across the board, period. You know, we've got to see the defense for Tennessee this year, but they've got a defensive-minded head coach in Mike Vrabel, so I think they'll probably figure that out as the season goes on. We've got to see the defense, but offensively, there's a real three-headed monster there. Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, and Ryan Tannehill running the ship. He can throw the deep ball. Henry can punish you up the middle. You can draw. You can come to the line of scrimmage, and Tannehill can beat you over the top to not one but two great targets, both downfield and in the red zone. Julio Jones, I think, can make a real impact if he can stay healthy in this AFC. The Pats are going to play Julio Jones and the Titans later on in this year, and I'm very curious about his impact in Nashville. I think the Titans are a good team. I put them ahead of the Patriots right now. Question number five. The player with the most pressure this week is... The player with the most pressure this week as we are here in week one. By the way, this is our six-pack of questions here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, and you can get in with some of your thoughts on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line 802-585-3026. Player with the most pressure, Carson Wentz. There's a couple people that have a lot of pressure. Carson Wentz has the most. A couple different reasons. There were some not-so-glowing reviews of him in Philadelphia. Not a great teammate. Checked out on his team. He got out of Philadelphia. We think, hey, change of scenery, this is all he needs. Well, we're, we're going to find out here pretty quickly. They're going up. They're at home, going up against a very good Seattle team that went to the playoffs last year that plays in the best division in football. The Seahawks are good. I would say they're not great. Tough matchup in week one. Carson Wentz, you know, Gets out of Philly, has got to prove that it was just the location and circumstance he was in and not him. He's got everything lined up for him. He's at home. He's got his old coach back in Frank Reich, a guy who we found great success with in Philadelphia. So that's on the field pressure. And he's got off the field stuff too now. He's got this foot injury that he dealt with through the preseason. He is going to play, but is he fully healthy? And he's got this COVID vaccine thing around him. I told you when it came to Cam... How good you are dictates how big a distraction you can be. Carson Wentz at this point is maybe better than Cam, but he's certainly making a lot more money. So the Colts have to put up with this, but he's getting some real detractors here for his unwillingness to get vaccinated. So there's on-field pressure. There's off-field pressure. A lot of that can go away with a solid performance in week one. But if he comes out and they lose and he doesn't play well, expect the drumbeat to grow even louder and the walls to cave in further on Carson Wentz. All right, number six, our final question of our six-pack. The most amazing NFL stat of the weekend is... The most amazing NFL stat of the weekend. Jalen Waddell, a guy we're going to talk about here a little bit later here for the Miami Dolphins. So, Field Yates, ESPN NFL insider, was on with us yesterday. And he was talking about Jalen Waddell, and he prepped us for this amazing stat. Yeah, so Jalen Waddell was... Most explosive player in the draft, the guy who invokes shades of Tyreek Hill in terms of explosiveness. Uh, Tyreek's a different player. Tyreek's a better player at this point. There's no two ways about that. But the point is that Jalen Waddle can score 
from any yardage. Jalen Waddle can score from any yardage. And then after that bit, Field told us one of the more amazing stats I've ever heard. Jalen Waddle had 17 catches, 17 touchdown catches, rather, in his college career at Alabama. 17 touchdown catches. The average yards per reception on those touchdown catches, 44. Nearly every touchdown that he had was like from midfield on average. That's how fast this guy is. That's his ability to get open, his ability to separate, and his ability to break away from defenders. If you ask me if there's one player on the Dolphins that scares me going into week one against the Patriots, it is Jalen Waddell because that speed is electric and the Pats are a little undermanned in the secondary without Stephon Gilmore. They, overall, the Dolphins don't have a lot of individual pieces that scare me. Jalen Waddell does because he's got a skill set that you just can't teach and you just can't easily coach against. And that speed, Waddle is the guy that I'm most worried about for the Dolphins coming into this matchup with the Patriots. That's our six-pack of NFL questions here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We are going to do that every single Friday at 6.05 when we have a full show, at least right here on the uh, stations of Radio Vermont. So we just had Phil Perry on. I want to stay with the Patriots and Dolphins. Phil Perry NBC Sports Boston Patriots Insider. We just had him on, and I'm going to say this. Heading into week one, I think the Dolphins need this win more than the Patriots do. And I asked Phil which team needs the win most, and Phil agreed with me, it is the Dolphins. I think because of the nature of the quarterback situation and because there's already some unrest down in Miami about whether or not Tua should be the guy. Can he be the guy down the road if he gets more time? I think the Dolphins probably needed a little bit more. I think panic would set in Brady a little bit more strongly in Miami if it doesn't look good for them. I think if it ends up being a loss here in New England, it's not great. You're expected to be winning this year. This roster was entirely rebuilt in the offseason. We know the amount of money that was spent. They're expected to win right now, even though they have a rookie quarterback, but they're always going to have that rookie quarterback in his first professional game thing to be able to fall yeah. back on. Yeah, I agree completely with what Phil just said there. I And the reason why I asked that question is because the other day, Freddie Coleman told us on Wednesday that he thought week one, this was a statement game for both teams. Now, I disagreed with that. I don't think in most situations week one is a statement game unless you are – a heavy underdog that beats a heavy favorite and you're kind of announcing your presence. I don't think week one can really be a statement game in a 17-week season. But I do think certain teams need to get off to good starts more than others. And I think the Dolphins, like Phil said, need this win more than the Patriots do. To Phil's point, the questions around Tua are intense right now. Nationally, there's all this speculation about the Dolphins going after Deshaun Watson. There's Deshaun Watson. There's questions about Tua's size. There's questions about Tua's arm. I mean, if he comes out and lays an egg, those walls are going to cave in on him as well, and those drum beats are going to go louder. He needs to come out and play well against a good defense, a good coach, in a hostile environment to silence those critics. Like we just did. Which player has the most pressure in week one? I chose Carson Wentz. I almost chose Tua. It's like 1-1A one one for me. 
because Wentz makes more money and because he's older and given the nature of what happened in Philly and given the COVID vaccine stuff, I think it's worse out there for him right now. But Tua, there's a lot of people writing him off right now. So he cannot afford to come out and play poorly. And the Dolphins need a win more than the Patriots do to silence Tua's critics. And also, the Dolphins play the Bills next week. If the Bills are as good as we think they are, that's a tough win for the Dolphins, even at home. So I'm banking on the Dolphins losing in Week 2 to Buffalo. You can't afford to lose in Week 1 also. I get it. It's a 17-game season. It's going to come down to math, kind of new math about everything. But if you start out 0-2, you're limited in your ability to come back and win a division, which makes your path to the playoffs harder. The Dolphins are expecting a trip to the playoffs. They are built for a trip to the playoffs, much like the Patriots. And if they start out 0-2, they have hurt their ability to get to the playoffs. They can ill afford to drop week one. The Patriots play the Jets in week two. If they lose in week one, I got to think they're going to be at least 1-1, one and one, and I would live with that. The Dolphins, are if they lose week one, they're headed for 0-2, and, and that's a problem. And it's a problem for Brian Flores. It's a problem for Tua. It's a problem for everybody. So the Patriots want this win. I want the Patriots to win. You want the Patriots to win. In terms of who needs the win more, that's the Miami Dolphins. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we do it every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Here's what we know about New England. Their running game production, their offensive line, their special teams, and their defense will all be top five. And they have the best coach in the game. They're going to win a bunch of games. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. We had Field Yates again, the ESPN NFL Insider, on the show yesterday, and he was talking about Mac Jones, and he was talking about how Mac can succeed with the Pats. Systematically, if you're an accurate quarterback who makes good decisions, takes care of the football, and can do a lot of good stuff pre-snap, there's a chance for you to succeed in this offense. Now, that's a short clip. And the reason why I played it is because of the key phrase there. Pre-snap. Okay, listen to it again. Systematically, if you're an accurate quarterback who makes good decisions, takes care of the football, and can do a lot of good stuff pre-snap, there's a chance for you to succeed in this offense. If you can do good stuff pre-snap, there's a chance for you to succeed. That's the one thing that I, at least, have largely ignored when thinking about Mac Jones. And it's the one thing that I really want to watch for on Sunday and then listen for in postgame analysis. Because we focused a lot on Mac's arm or on Mac's legs or on his foot speed or on his maneuverability in the pocket. We haven't focused a lot on his mind pre-snap. And that's going to be really important for him, not only on Sunday, but through his career in Foxborough. Because we know that Brian Flores' defense in Miami is going to be good. We know it's going to be aggressive. And we know that they're going to try to confuse Mac Jones and going to try to disguise things. How quickly Mac Jones can decode that stuff is going to go a long way in dictating how quickly he becomes a good NFL quarterback. I was listening to... Greg Cosell yesterday. He's had 40-plus years 
studying tape at NFL Films, and he made a great point. Mac Jones won't be able to beat you post-snap with his athleticism, meaning some young quarterbacks, they can be confused by what they're seeing, but their athleticism can take over and buy them time. It's one of the reasons why I wanted a mobile quarterback because, hey, while you're learning on the job, if you're not quite sure what you're seeing, you can just take off. That's part of the reason why I wanted a mobile quarterback. Mac Jones doesn't have that ability. So he's not going to be able to beat you with his legs post-snap. He's going to have to beat you with his mind pre-snap. He's going to have to be brilliant in that regard. And by all accounts, he is smart enough to get good at that aspect of the game. But the sooner he gets there, it's better for him and for the Patriots. I'm going to be watching the command he has pre-snap, what he's doing, and then after the game, I'm going to want to hear the analysis of how he was pre-snap because Brian Flores' defense is going to be expansive on Sunday. They are going to try to confuse the heck out of Tua, or I'm sorry, out of Mac Jones. And if he can confuse Mac Jones, it's going to be a long day. If Mac can figure it out pre-snap, he's got a chance to be successful in that game and beyond. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, I'm going to talk to you about relationships. Okay? I'm going to talk to you about relationships and letting go because it's time that a lot of you let go. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Remember, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line is open, 802-585-3026. Your takes on the NFL games, Patriots, Dolphins, what are you looking for in this game? And your predictions. I'm going to give my predictions and the keys to the game in about 20 minutes. I want to talk with you about relationships, okay? To Patriots fans, okay, I am pleading with you. To Patriots fans and to New England networks, it is now time to stop following every move that Tom Brady makes. It's time to move on. It's time to move on. There is nothing worse than someone who was in a relationship who can't let go. Eventually, even if you don't want to move on, you have to move on. For us, that time is now. The only reason we spoke about Tom Brady yesterday is because it was opening night and the Bucks were the only game on. And we'll talk about Brady again in week four lead up and post game of week four. But beyond that, don't expect me to hang on Tom Brady's every move all season. Don't expect me to be giving you constant Bucks updates. It's time to move on. I have the rest of you need to. We had a great run. Like let, let's just acknowledge that. We ha- with Tom Brady, we as fans had a great run. 20 years accomplished amazing never been done before things. But Tom Brady has moved on. We need to also. I I was I was enraged last night. I see Boston networks and Boston radio stations with sponsored Bucks content. 
I see WEEI live tweeting the game last night about him. And clearly these places are doing this because the fans are interested still. Stop being interested in this way. If you think that I'm wrong, if you think that we should still be giving Tom Brady you know, our all of our attention, let me know. 802-585-3026 because I don't think so. I don't think we should. I get it last year, right? Last year I got it. The wound was fresh. The breakup had just happened. You didn't think the Pats were going to be that good, so you kind of gravitated to a, th- to a team we thought would be good. Like, I, I get it. Last year I got it. You know, if we equate this to real life, you break up, and for the first little bit, you're pretty upset. You want to stalk, you want to, you know, you're doing a constant refresh of the person's social media account, seeing if they posted about you. You're doing drive-bys at their house, seeing if they're hanging out with somebody else, seeing if they've moved on. Okay, You want to keep tabs early on after the breakup. I get that. Now, we are past that. We are past that. Stop being so enamored with your ex. It is pathetic. It is pathetic when you can't get over your ex and you've had ample time to. We have had time, all of us. We've grieved, and now we move on. I don't want to see WEEI or NBC Sports Boston, two places I really respect, tweeting constantly about Tom Brady. They're doing that because all of you want them to, and I don't want that. I am not a Bucks fan. Tom Brady has moved on. You have to also. You know, Cam Newton was your rebound relationship. You got rid of him. You have now moved on to a new long-term partner in Mac Jones. Give him your attention. Give him your love. Appreciate the X all you want, but it's over. Mac Jones is your new squeeze. This is the guy you should be behind. I am a Patriots fan. Yes, I like Tom Brady. Yes, I appreciate what he did, but I am a Pats fan. And now that the Pats are playing, that's where my allegiances are going. They are no longer going to Tom Brady. Last year, I give you a pass. Weird COVID year. Pats weren't going to be very good. You didn't have a long-term answer. You were just kind of dating Cam Newton. You weren't married to him. Last year, I got it. This year, you've got your good team set up, a favorable schedule, fans allowed back in your stadiums, and you've got your long-term partner in Mac Jones. That's where your energy goes. It no longer goes to Tom Brady. I, I implore all of you, to move on in this relationship. Uh, a couple of texts, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury. Text line 802-585-3026. We get uh, Mark from Richford all the way up there. Says, Brady, I agree with you. I am a Patriots fan. That said, I am excited for week four. It should be special. Yeah, it will be special. Week four will be special. And that's the time. It's like the family reunion or, or the kids' graduation, right? You're divorced. You've been divorced. You come together at graduation, and you all talk nice, and then you go back your separate ways. That that week four will be fun. It will be a fun family moment. But that's it. That's all I need. I'm not live tweeting Bucks Bengals games just to see what Tom's doing. I'm not refreshing the, the Facebook page every five minutes. Did he post about me yet? Did he post? Does he miss me too? I'm not doing that. That's not happening for me. I, I am over it. You need to be over it as well. All right. We usually, when we have full 90-minute shows, we do this every single day. We didn't get a chance to do it yesterday, but we bring it back today. We haven't had a lot of full 90-minute shows lately. So let's get to Crazy Twitter Takes. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. 
They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The yeah. internet. It's time for Crazy Twitter Takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! All right, Crazy Twitter Takes here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEVAM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. Cam Newton posted his video. with The video we knew was coming today. He said he had some things to get off his chest, and he wanted to clear the air about his release from the Patriots and the state of his career. He said he wasn't retiring. We knew that. He's also not in a rush to sign tomorrow, but he's not retiring. I saw a tweet that said this. Cam Newton probably should have kept that interview to himself because he basically told everyone his mere presence as a backup would be a distraction. All right. I'll play what Cam said, but first off, that is a crazy Twitter take. Whoever said that, and I can't remember the person's name, that is a crazy Twitter take. Cam Newton says he thinks he was released for this reason. Here's Cam in his own words. If they would have asked me would I play behind, they say, Cam, we're going to give the team to Matt. Okay. You're going to be the second string. We okay. expect you to be everything and some yeah. to guide yeah. him throughout yeah. this tenure. Okay. I would have said absolutely. Yeah. Cam. But listen. Cam. Listen. The truth of the matter is this. He would have been uncomfortable. With you looking over his shoulder? Uh, yeah. You you felt like that? Yeah. He would have. And they well, knew because because – you have to understand. You are intimidating too. presence now. That is true. Yeah. So Cam says he was released because they wanted to give the job to Mac Jones. And they didn't want Cam to be the backup because that would have made Mac Jones uncomfortable. That falls in line with exactly what we said a week ago, a week and a half ago when Cam was released. Cam Newton being there would have made things uncomfortable for Mac Jones because the fans, the media, the locker room, they all know Cam is there, and they would always keep Cam relevant, and Cam would always be top of mind. And if they always say, right, the backup quarterback's the most popular guy in town. If Mac Jones is struggling and goes 0-3, Coach Belichick, is Cam going to play this week? Mac, uh, are you worried about losing your job to Cam? Or in the locker room, hey, how many of you guys are secretly hoping that Bill gives the job to Cam? That's a tenuous situation for a young quarterback to be in. I said that a week ago. I think the vaccine stuff played a part in it, but I also think that Cam is too big a personality and too big of a, you know, has too big of a resume to be Mac Jones's backup. So I agree with what Cam says. The tweet again says he should have kept that to himself because he basically told everyone his mere presence as a backup would be a distraction, a.k.a. no team will want him as a backup if he feels that way. Look, I, I don't agree with that because Cam's presence would be distracting to a team or to a quarterback that is really young or that we know Cam is better than. That's who it becomes an issue for. Cam's personality and presence isn't overshadowing Aaron Rodgers. It's not overshadowing Tom Brady. It's not overshadowing Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott. It's not overshadowing someone who is established and someone who has experience on their side and someone who is good. 
if we're talking about Cam being a backup to Mac Jones, yeah, that creates an issue because we're not sure that Mac Jones is better than Cam. If Mac Jones was a backup to Tua, we're not sure that Tua is better than Cam in the same way that last year Dolphin fans, a lot of them wanted Ryan Fitzpatrick to play over Tua. That's an issue. That's an issue for the young quarterback. So there's places where Cam would overwhelm the quarterback room and the potential quarterback. But there's plenty of places where Cam would fit in fine as a backup, where a quarterback is established and where a quarterback is good. So that is a crazy Twitter take to me. You know, Cam is Cam can be a backup, but yeah, I do think it would be it would have to be the right situation. As for other takeaways from Cam's interview. In general, I found it interesting that Cam said he would be a backup. Now, he could have just been saying that for the camera, for the scouts, for the execs. But Cam has pretty been pretty forthright with us throughout his entire tenure. If he says he would be a backup in New England, I believe him. I'm just kind of surprised at it. You know what? I take that back. I'm not surprised at it. Given what we know about Cam, I think Cam has said, I don't really want to change teams at this point in my career. So I think he was comfortable in New England with the team, the locker room, the playbook, the coaches. I believe him. Okay, I'm not surprised. I take that back. If Cam was offered a chance to be the backup in New England, I think he would have taken it. I think he would have been, sure, resentful secretly, but I think he would have done it because he liked the situation he was in. But, you know... Does he want to go out and, and back up a youngster now? Probably not. I think his ego is too big for that. I think most veterans' egos are too big for that. They don't want to back up somebody who's younger, not as accomplished as them, or who they think they're better than. Mac, I think it would have been an exception because he already was established in Foxborough. Anywhere else, I don't see him want, like I don't see him wanting to go to Miami and back up Tua. I don't see him wanting to go to Cincy and back up Joe Burrow. I just don't see that. So I believe him when it comes to New England. I don't think he readily wants to be a backup somewhere else. I, I think he's smart to wait his time and wait for an injury to happen. And I think he'll probably get a chance when it does because quarterbacks get hurt every year. Another takeaway that I had from what Cam had to say is that his father, who we did the video with, his father Cecil, was much more upset about Cam's release than Cam was. Here's, here's Cecil Newton. I, I, I'm just gonna speak truth to power. It was a dirty move. It was a it was a sucker move. No, to the extent, and let me let me ride. To the extent that all I heard was you were the day one. I'm going with Dollar Bill on that quest, okay? And I know you didn't do enough to be a detrimental asset to this organization on no front. So he says it was a dirty move. It was a sucker move what they did to Cam. I think Cam's father is more upset than Cam. And you know what? Cecil Newton with that quote came off as very relatable to me. Think about it. When your kid has something you think they deserve taken from them, don't you feel that exact same way? Aren't you protective of your child? Don't you hate to see your child hurt or have an opportunity taken from them. Right there, Cecil Newton showed me he's just a guy who loves his kid. Is he right? You know, I think he's right that that Cam deserved the job. I'm not necessarily saying it was dirty, but 
I think that Cecil Newton's right. Cam deserves to be the quarterback here in week one. But, you know, he's he's blindly following his son. And I think that is what a lot of parents do. I, I think, you know, he doesn't live the business like Cam does. Cam can go, hey, hey, Pop, that's the business. Well, he doesn't live the business. Cecil Newton lives his kid. How could this happen to my kid? My kid was done wrong. My kid was lied to. I think most parents would look at it that way. That's what parents do. They love their kids, and they support their kids. And I had no problem with how Cecil Newton felt or what he said because I think it's incredibly relatable. The passion in his voice, the belief in his son, that shows a powerful bond and a powerful love from father to son. I think a lot of parents who are driving around in their car, maybe listening to this podcast after the fact, I think a lot of them can appreciate where Cecil Newton's coming from because he just sounds like a dad who supports his kid. And I think a lot of people would sound that exact same way. All right, the last one real quick, last Cam Newton takeaway was he just had some nice words for Mac Jones. Mac and cheese, Mac 10, whatever you want to call him, man. He, he did do what he came to do. He proved that he can be productive, and he will be productive. Yeah, but he got- I liked hearing that. Okay, I'll Simply put, I liked hearing that. Cam Newton, whether you think he's doing it for the camera or you think he's genuine, either way, he took no shots at anybody, the Patriots, Mac Jones, anybody. He was honest, he was forthright, and he said, look, Mac Jones is good. He made it clear Mac Jones is good. He also made it clear that he didn't think he played poorly, but he acknowledged that Mac Jones is good and the team can win with him. I thought that showed class, and I thought it showed grace, and I appreciated it. With that, I got to say, we talk about moving on from Tom Brady. I think it's time for me to move on from Cam Newton. The only time I think we'll talk about Cam from this point forward is if he happened to re-sign in Foxborough, if the Patriots were, you know, if Mac appears to be a bust or isn't ready or if Cam signs somewhere else. But I don't think we're going to hear a lot from Cam at all over the next couple of weeks until he signs somewhere. I don't think we're going to hear a lot from Cam or a lot about Cam. And you know what? I appreciate the Cam Newton experience. It made last year a not very enjoyable 2020 overall it made it a lot more enjoyable as a media member and as a fan, despite you know what you think is a lack of success. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, Pats, Dolphins, keys to the game, what we're looking for, and my overall predictions for week one. And we'll read some of your predictions from the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. That's coming up next right here on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you about my town. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. The show brought to you in part by Evan Hallstrom Racing. Evan Hallstrom, an 18-year-old race car driver on the Pro All-Star Series for the Super Late Models. He's out of Northfield, Vermont, and he's raced at Thunder Road, and there's racing tonight going on at the nation's site of excitement. It's WDEV Radio Night. I won't be there because I'm here doing the burning the late oil here on the show, but uh, you know a lot of our teammates at DEV will be out there. Evan Hallstrom is a guy, again, 18 years old. He's the youngest ever to qualify for the Vermont Milk Bowl. So if you love local racing and you love the flavor of Thunder Road and you're on your way out to the nation's side of excitement now, go give him a follow at evanhallstromracing.com. 
Okay, keys to the game, Patriots-Dolphins. Number one, the number one key for me in this game for the Pats, the ability to tackle in space. It sounds basic. It sounds fundamental. It is. It's important. The Dolphins don't have a great offensive line. The Patriots have a very good front seven now. The Pats are going to be able to generate pressure. They're going to try to get the ball out of Tua Tagovailoa's hands quickly. And Tua is smart enough, disciplined enough, and accurate enough to to oblige with those with that. So if the Pats are going to bring guys quick, Tua's going to get rid of the ball quick, the Pats are going to have to be able to tackle in space. Because if they can, if they get out of his hands and it's a three-yard pickup, it needs to stay a three-yard pickup. If three-yard pickups become 13-yard pickups, become 23-yard pickups, then that is a problem. If the Pats can be good tacklers in space and be fundamental, they can force you know some tougher down-and-distance situations for the Dolphins. We don't trust that Tua can beat you on third and eight consistently. Third and two, though, he can. And the Pats are going to want to stay out of that situation. If he's going to dump it off, keep it a dump off. Four yards can't become 24 yards. Dolphins have a lot of speed. They have a lot of playmakers, like my guy Jalen Waddle, who I am worried about. Cameron Wolf of the NFL Network on Waddle. No, I think that he's going to be dynamic from the jump. You know, I don't know if he has a full route tree under him, but the way they want to use him is a lot of how he was used in Alabama. Get the ball out ahead to him quickly, get a lot of slant passes, and really get him to use his speed as a playmaking um, ability. A lot of speed on this Dolphins team. Waddle, Miles Gaskin, uh, Albert Wilson. Pats need to be sure-handed tackling. Number two key for the Patriots in this one. Simply put, right? Easy. Run the ball well. Okay? Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston. Here's what he told us earlier in the show. I think they're going to come out and really try to establish the run. Use that old football cliche. That's what they want to do. That's what they should be able to do against this Miami Dolphins front. The strength of their defense is in the secondary. So to expect them to come out in Mac Jones' first game against one of the best secondaries in football, in my opinion, with those two corners that they have, you're asking for trouble. So why would you mess with that? Yeah, Phil's right. The Dolphins are a lead at defensive back with Jones and Howard. You would be foolish to ask Mac Jones to throw on them all day. If they can run, similar to what the Dolphins should try to do, if you can run, set up third and manageable, second and short, then you can make things happen in the pass game. The Pats can utilize their tight end and utilize play action, but they have to get good down and distances in order to do that. They cannot be stuck in predictable passing downs. Third and nine isn't going to work here. Third and three will. Run the ball well. Set up those good and advantageous situations. All right. Prediction time. Prediction time for me. Week one, Patriots-Dolphins. I'm going to go with the Pats to win. Low scoring and ugly. Final score, 19-16. I do not think this is going to be a pretty game. The Pats are at home. The crowd is back. They'll be full-throated. No crowd there all last year. I think the Pats control the ball enough. I think the D is good enough. I predict Mac Jones throws his first career NFL touchdown. It won't be perfect, but you will see some traits about Mac Jones that impress you. When we come in here on Monday, I think the Patriots will be 1-0. Josh in Rutland says, I got the Pats winning 34-20. to I think that's awfully high scoring, Josh. We got one from... Uh, Let's see, David in Barrytown, who says Pats will win it 24-23 to on a late field goal. 
Okay, that's more like it. And then we got a couple of, you know, we got one troll here from, uh, let's see, this one is Sam in, uh, let's see, Sam in Essex who says, I got the Dolphins winning 38 to 20, hashtag go Fins. Well, I don't think that's going to happen. No one scoring 38 in this game. Ugly game, Pats will win it 19 to 16. That is my official prediction. When we come in on Monday, we certainly will be uh, recapping all angles of the game. We'll get to the Red Sox over the weekend as well as they have that big series with the Chicago White Sox this weekend. I do want to uh, end the show on this note. Tomorrow is the 20-year anniversary of September 11th. If you are listening and you are old enough to remember 9-11, you remember exactly where you were. I was in sixth grade. It was one of the first days of sixth grade for me sitting in Mr. Redmond's tech class. It was uh, an unbelievable day. I, I was in New York um, three hours away, but at the time, you know, just being in New York was worrisome, and I'm sure being here, being near New York was worrisome. I remember we rolled in one of those TVs that teachers used to have on the big wheels, and we watched the coverage in my first period class until they stopped letting us watch it throughout the rest of the day. So uh, 20 years Later, a lot has changed about the country. Hopefully, everybody can come together tomorrow and beyond like they did back then. Thank you to all of our servicemen and servicewomen here and beyond who help keep us safe. Thank you for your tireless efforts over the last 20 years and beyond. Uh, that's going to do it for the Brady Farkas Show. What we will do, though, I'm going to play the CBS News, and we're going to have like a handful of minutes left. I'm going to come back and give you the Red Sox lineup. So stick with me through the news on DEV.